Uh, Kevin uh, and Katie knew me back when, you know, I had hair, and uh, those, were, those were good days that we knew each other. Uh, and over the years, we have been able to see each other along the way. Uh, my family uh, lived in Pennsylvania, and then we went and served with the Alliance in the country of Russia. We lived there for 15 years. And after those 15 years, uh, God gave us the opportunity to begin to oversee work in a, in a number of countries. There were seven where we had teams that we were responsible for. And so for that job, we needed to find a new place to live. And we spent a little while in Germany, and then we wound up living in Istanbul, Turkey. So those are places that we've had the chance to live over the years. And it's been five years now since I came back, we came back to the United States. And uh, my role has been to, to give oversight to our work around the world. And I spend an awful lot of my time on weekends, especially in churches like yours, because we're part of this big family across the country, uh, out of which people have gone. And, uh, and we get our arms around them and make sure that they have what they need to get that job done. So I want to say thank you to you. Uh, I came here today, and you know I'm able to see on that back wall the Duix picture, and you guys are going to be with them when you make that trip. And Summer's picture is back there, and I think you know Summer, right? Uh, so uh, it's a delight to be in a church uh, where you've got uh, your arms around your own sent ones who are serving the Lord around the world, and to go alongside of them uh, with these kinds of trips, to give yourself the opportunity to see what God is doing, to participate in that. It just keeps the whole thing alive. So thank you for the way that you're reaching out to the world as a church family. Hey, I want to share a message with you this morning that's called Awaken. <laughs> it's really uh, called Awaken to Kingdom Reality. And uh, the message is called that because uh, it's from a passage of Scripture where I believe that Jesus was giving a wake-up call uh, to his disciples. So I want to talk to you about that today because I think that in that passage of Scripture, Jesus is not only talking to 12, but he's talking to us. We're going to look most uh, closely today at some verses in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. But let me set the scene for why it was that Jesus had this dialogue with his disciples in those two chapters. For that, we've got to look back at the end of chapter 23. Jesus was in the temple for what was going to turn out to be the last time he would be there. This is the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And it was, you know, he'd been there off and on different times, interacting with the Jewish leaders, and usually it didn't go well. You know, they... Uh, uh, they, they couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And often what Jesus had to say seemed to be a threat to the way this religion works. <laughs> and Jesus was trying to wake them up, and it was a hard thing to do. And this was the last time he was there. In fact, it didn't go well again. And if you look at the end of chapter 23, Jesus says, I'm out of here, and you're not going to see me again in this temple. Uh, and that was the last time he was there. So he storms out of the temple after this bad encounter with the Jewish leaders who can't understand what he's talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God. Now, interestingly, the disciples are with him. The 12 disciples are with him, and they come, you know, they gather up their stuff, and they get out of the temple, and they follow Jesus out of there as he's storming away. 
And uh, I think it was an awkward moment. You know, it didn't go well, and Jesus got into another uh, argument with these people, and he leaves, and they're trying to figure out what are we supposed to say. At least it seems that way to me, because they literally, what they do is they say, Jesus, look at these magnificent, beautiful walls of this temple. Isn't this a tremendous thing? Now, these were local yokels from up at the Sea of Galilee. You know, they were farmers and fishermen, and uh, they didn't spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. So, yeah, they were probably overwhelmed with that. But I almost feel like it was just one of those awkward moments where they're trying to say, we've got to break this awkward silence somehow. And so they, they ask Jesus about that. And Jesus rebukes them almost. He says, look, let me tell you, not one of these stones of these walls will be left on top of each other. This is all going to be destroyed. Wow. They walk out of the city and all the way up to the Mount of Olives, and there's no dialogue in between. <laughs> so it was really kind of awkward. They get to the Mount of Olives, and they sit down, and this is the beginning of chapter 24. And the disciples have a question for Jesus that shows us that they made a connection in their mind. They say, Jesus, when will these things take place? And what will be the sign of your coming? So something about Jesus saying, all this is going to be destroyed, the temple will be wiped out, they, they knew. They remembered some of his teaching, they remembered some of their Old Testament, and they, and, and they knew he's talking about the end. He's talking about this time when he's going to come at the end, and, and all the old stuff will be wiped away, and the kingdom will come. And they want to know, when's that going to happen? I think the reason they wanted to know when's that going to happen is that they were hoping it was going to happen soon. <laughs> they wanted it to come, like, preferably now, Jesus. You know what? It's hard to live under these Romans. And, you know, you're getting in fights all the time with the religious people. And you're saying this is all going to change anyway. Just bring it on, Jesus. Let's get this thing over with. And Jesus spends then all of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25 telling them why that ain't going to happen. He has a different plan. And I think what he was trying to do is wake them up to a reality of the kingdom of God that they didn't understand. They thought the kingdom was going to come at the end. Jesus will come back. It'll all be done. It'll be happy day for us. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, my kingdom unfolds over a long period of time that you don't know anything about. And in chapter 24 and chapter 25, he tells them about it. Now, I like to refer to this passage, and often when we've thought about how God calls us to be involved with what he's doing in this world, we think about Matthew chapter 24, because there's this verse in the middle of it, in verse 14, uh, where, that is sort of Jesus' most direct answer to their question. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, this good news about the kingdom will be preached in all nations as a testimony to all peoples, and then the end will come. So that's maybe the most direct answer to the question he gave. In our big family that your church is part of, in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, uh, we often uh, remember the, the man who had 
founded this, who uh, was a pastor in New York City. His name was Albert Simpson. And in his day, believe it or not, um, pastors made the news. So, Scott, I don't know if the news crews are knocking on your door every day, wanting to know what you have to say to the world, but that was going on in New York City in the 1880s when Albert Simpson was a pastor. And one of the things they loved about Simpson is he was always talking about Jesus coming back again. And so they bugged him and they asked him, what do you think? When's Jesus going to come back? Can you predict, you know? And, and then they would type this up in the newspaper stories. So finally one day Simpson said to them all, look, get all your reporter friends and come to my office on such and such a day and I will tell you precisely when Jesus is coming back. And so all these reporters came to his office, you know, ready to, to get the story. And uh, he opened his Bible to Matthew chapter 24 and he read them the verse that I just read to you. This good news of the kingdom will be preached in all nations as a testimony for all peoples, and then the end will come. And he closed his Bible. Now, I don't think that's the scoop that the reporters were hoping for that day, but Simpson's point was this. Jesus didn't tell us a lot about when he would come back, but he told us there are things to get done before he comes back. And I think what Jesus was trying to wake his disciples up to in these chapters is the idea that, listen, I am going to get on the throne. Soon I will be the king, and there will be no mistake about my authority. But I'm not going to come and end it all right away. There's going to be this whole period of time that you haven't been thinking about. And I want to describe that period of time to you. And some of that is bad news. Not just good news, it's going to be crazy. But I want you to know this, while the world is going crazy, I'm up to something. There's a reason I'm taking this time, and that reason has to do with making sure that the good news of what Jesus accomplished for us is available for all peoples of earth. And then <laughs> the end will come. So I want to show you this morning how it was that Jesus dished out this news about this period of time and was trying to wake his disciples up to the reality of the kingdom. And the reason I want to do this for you this morning is we still live in that same period of time that Jesus was talking about. We live between his first coming and his second coming. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, he's saying, please live in a way that will bring about that end. It's going to come, but in the meantime, I'm on the throne. I'm trying to get stuff done in this world. And if you're concerned about the end and want to know when I'm coming, here's the best thing to do. Join me in what I'm doing in this world, and we'll see that end come to pass. So here's how he dishes it out to his disciples. He starts in chapter 24 with all the bad news. So I call the first 40 verses of chapter 24 the bad news of the kingdom. God's kingdom exists in the middle of a bad news world. Jesus said there will be hurricanes and earthquakes and all kinds of things going on. Jesus said there will be wars, there will be political intrigue, there will be global geopolitics uh, causing all kinds of problems and impacting us all. There will be persecution, there will be believers that will be killed because they follow Jesus' name. A lot of bad stuff is going to happen in this period of time. That's the bad news of the kingdom. The good news is that the reason that that stuff is happening is that Jesus wants to use this period of time to call people to freely choose him. And so he asks us, would you be in step with me 
in what I'm up to in this period of time. This is what it means to awaken the kingdom reality. We need to make sure that we are not lulled into a sense that what's really going on in this world is all that bad news stuff. Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm on the throne. I want you to be in touch with that, and here's how we're going to live. So there are three parallels between chapter 24 and chapter 25 that I think help show us at least three things Jesus is saying about what it means to live in step with him in this period of his kingdom before he comes. Let me review them for you this way. The first one is this. I believe Jesus is saying, in this period of time, it's very important that you stay ready, which really means stay close to me. Always be ready, living in love with the coming king. When we think about that end, when we think about he's coming, let that impact the way that we live and let it shape everything about our lives. This is what Jesus was saying. In chapter 40, I'm sorry, in chapter 24, uh, when you get down into like verse 42 and 43, Jesus kind of moves from the bad news of the kingdom into what it means to be ready. And he tells this little story that might even be titled in your Bible, if you have one with little section titles, uh, The Thief in the Night. And Jesus says, listen, uh, if the guy knew that a thief was coming that very night to his house, he wouldn't go to sleep. He'd stay awake (laughs) in order to be ready for when the thief comes. Now that's kind of a scary story (laughs) about being ready. In fact, you know, when I was a kid uh, uh, growing up in the church, people made a movie called The Thief in the Night. And it was a scary movie. The, the idea of that movie uh, and, and was this side of being ready. Listen, you want to be ready when Jesus comes back. Or he might come back and you'll get left behind. And so that's what that movie was about. And it was designed to scare little kids into yielding their lives to Jesus. <laughs> and it worked for me. Um, you know. And maybe you would remember more recently than that a series of books called Left Behind. You know, and they, and they, were, they were kind of that same way. Look, we need to be ready. And that is part of what Jesus is saying here. The last thing we can afford to do is not be ready. This period of time between his first coming and second coming is a period of time for people to trust Jesus as their Savior. This is a period of time for us to place our trust in him. Make no mistake about it. If you've not come to that place in your life where you've said what Jesus did, what we celebrated today with that bread and cup, what Jesus did, he did for me, I will trust him to be my Savior. Man, if you haven't done that, you need to do that. That's part of what it means to be ready. But I don't think that's all of what Jesus had in mind when he said be ready. How do we know this? Well, there's a parallel in chapter 25. At the beginning of chapter 25, Jesus tells us this story of five wise girls and five foolish girls. They're ca- some, this might be called the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. And they're called that because these were young, unmarried girls. And the, 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 the deal in the story is that they are friends of a, of a bride who's ready to get married. And the groom that's going to marry her is far away somewhere. And, uh, you know, in those days, there weren't train schedules or plane schedules or cell phones to, to let you know when he's coming. So all they knew is he's coming soon, and they wanted to be ready for the wedding because it was going to be great because they loved him. They loved this girl. They wanted to see them married. They were getting ready for the party. Now, the 10 girls had a job to do, their job for the party, because they were friends of the bride. Interestingly, their job was to make sure there's lights 
for the party. You know, we don't think about that. We flip the switch. But in that day, preparing for the party made, made, uh, included making sure there were lamps with oil. So these ten girls had the assignment of filling their lamps with oil. And Jesus uses that as the symbol of being ready. Now, it's called the five foolish and the five wise because five of these girls, you know what? They were busy. I mean, they had lives of their own. They had to put food on the table. They were probably part of a family business, selling cheese or, or farming a field or whatever it was they were doing. Uh, nobody was lazy in those days. You had to work hard, and they had busy things to do. They had lives of their own. And then all of a sudden, the bridegroom came, and guess what? They hadn't gotten around to filling their lamps with oil. And so the party started without them. Now, the five wise girls, guess what? They were just as busy. They had as many things going on in their life as the foolish girls. They had to take care of their families. They had to pitch in. They had to do the work. They had to make sure there was food on the table. But somehow, amidst it all, they, they managed to make sure they had oil in their lamps. Why? Because they wanted to be ready. They held on to that motivation. They weren't drifting with all the busyness of life and lost in that, they said, no, it's about Him. He's coming, and we want to be ready. And so no matter what, they made sure that they had their lamps full of oil. Jesus says that's what it's like to live in this period between my first and second coming. Live in light of the fact that I'm coming back. But don't be afraid. Be ready. How do you stay ready? Stay in love with Him. It's about Him coming. We are to live our lives in light of the fact that it ain't all about this. He's coming. <laughs> and in the meantime, He's here and He's up to something and He wants us to be with Him. So first, we need to always be ready, living in love with Him and what He does. I love to see individuals that live this way and I've known a lot in my life. Uh, I had a friend named Victor in Russia when I lived there. He was one of my first friends. And Victor was one of these guys that just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. He had met Jesus maybe a year or two before I got there. And, and uh, Victor, I mean, uh, I pitied the people that lived in Victor's apartment building because he wouldn't stop talking to them about Jesus. If you, if you were in line behind him at the bank, you were going to hear about Jesus. If you sat by him on the bus, guess what? You were going to hear about Jesus. If you lived next door to him, every time you saw him in the hallway, he just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. He was in love with Jesus. It changed his life, and he was not going to live for the mundane world. He was going to live for the one whom he had come to love. That's the way Jesus wants us to live in this world. I love it when I see it in peoples as well. Put a picture up here if you would. Whole peoples of the world, whole people groups. Uh, this picture that you see on the left is a picture that was taken amongst the Bunong people in Cambodia. This is a people group that uh, lived just on the left side of that border in Cambodia, and across the border from them is Vietnam. And across the border in Vietnam, there's a group called the Monong. And the Monong people had missionaries come to them and tell them about Jesus in the 1950s. And it changed their life. And in many villages amongst the Monong today, there are churches. And whole families changed from their old ways to follow Jesus. And the Bunong heard about it. And they said, hey, why don't you send some of those missionaries over here? We'd like to hear this Jesus story. Well, guess what? The war got really bad. This was an area of bombing, uh, and it, it, frankly, it never happened. 
until about 20, 30, about 25 years later, the Bonong people gained the freedom to come across the river and they started sharing Jesus with the Bonong. And the Bonong people embraced it. Today there are about 25 of these little Bunong churches in that part uh, of Cambodia and our missionaries that live in Cambodia are working to help those churches grow. But here's why I tell you the story. That picture's taken the day they dedicated their New Testament and, and, and it's all about celebration because the Bunong people are in love with Jesus. They are so glad that they finally got a chance for themselves and so guess what happened? They said, wait a minute, wait a minute. To our north live these other people. They're called the Timoan people. They don't speak our language. Nobody up there knows about Jesus. So these 25 little village churches, they went around until they finally found amongst them who amongst us can speak that language. And guess what they did? They pulled their money together and sent that family up there. And today, there are Timoan followers of Jesus because the Bunong were so thrilled that they got a chance that they couldn't keep it to themselves. Man, that's the way Jesus wants us to live. Let's not get caught up in all the stuff we got to do in this mundane world. It's about him and what he's doing. He's the king. He's on the throne. He's got a purpose. He wants us to be part of it. All right. Let's look at two more parallels between chapter 24 and chapter 25, and I think the picture fills out. How is it that Jesus wants us to live in this age that you and I live in? The second point is this. Jesus tells us, always be investing what I've given you here and now in what's going to last beyond my second coming. Take what I'm giving you now, because guess what? It's not going to last. There's going to be a great bonfire someday in which the stuff of this world burns up. But Jesus is in the business of converting the stuff of this world into resource for what his kingdom is all about. So he says, always be invested. So if we go back to chapter 24, Jesus uh, in about verse uh, 44, 45, very briefly he says, you know, it's kind of like a master that goes away, and while he's away, a good servant takes from amongst the resources of the master and feeds the people in due time. That's what Jesus said. Being ready and living in this period between my comings is kind of like I'm the master that went away and I've given you resources. Now take them and use them to feed the people in need at the right time. And one of my favorite verses, you should underline this verse, verse 46 of Matthew chapter 24 says this, it will be good for you if I find you doing that when I come back. Man, I wish they'd put that in the movie when I was a kid. Right? They made us scared of Jesus coming back. But Jesus has said, you don't have to be scared. If you want to be ready for me to come back, be doing the right things. <laughs> it's good for the one whom I find living this way when I come back. Jesus is telling you how to be blessed <laughs> in this age. How to live in a way that you don't have to be afraid of his return. Let's get with what he's doing. Now, we see a parallel to this in chapter 25. We go to chapter 25 and we see uh, the story or the parable that sometimes we think of as the parable of the talents. 
the New International Translation calls it the, bear, the parable of the bags of gold. So, you know, talent was a sum of money. So whether it's talents or bags of gold, the point is this. A master went away. He had three servants in this story. He gives to the one servant five bags of gold, to another one two, to another one one. So God doesn't give us all the same amounts in this life. But he wants us to use what he gives us. So he says to the guy, uh, I'm going away. I'll come back. When he comes back, he calls them in. And the guy who had received five bags of gold, you know the story, right? He doubled his money. He invested it on behalf of the master. He says, Master, uh, I now have ten bags of gold. And the master says, well done. You're a good and faithful servant. The guy who had given two did the same thing. He comes in, here's my four, and the master says, well done. You're a good <laughs> and faithful servant. That's what I want you to do. The guy who got one was like me. He saw the movie, and he was afraid. He said, I know you're a hard master, and man, the last thing I could afford to do is you come back, and I lost your money. I didn't want to lose it, so I buried it in the ground. So he goes and digs it up, and he gives it, and here, here you go. And the master was not pleased. Why? Because the money's going to burn. It wasn't about getting it back. It was about investing it in the kind of fruit the master desires to see. This is what Jesus wants to do. This is what he wants from us. Let me tell you a story from the Philippines. Uh, some friends of mine that work in the Philippines, Tim and Cleo Untime. Cleo was actually born in the Philippines, uh, but they serve there as missionaries. They work with marketplace ministries of the, of the U.S. CNMA. Uh, but Cleo inherited some land in the Philippines. Out in the, I mean, I went there. It's out in the middle of nowhere. But she inherited this plot of land. I thought, what are we going to do with this? And so they took me out there to see what they're doing with it. And this is what I saw. This is a sugar farm. So people grow sugar cane. And they cut it and they bring it. And these guys have this old ancient, uh, actually it's a uh, cast iron big machine with these gears. And it squeezes sugar cane and squeezes the juice out of it. Uh, and, um, and, they, and they turn that into sugar. And I thought, well, that's a funny thing for missionaries to be doing. Now here's the story. Uh, in, the, in the work that God had called them to do, they, uh, they had a heart for women in prison. In the, in the town where they lived, there was a women's prison, and they began to visit it. And uh, over time, some of these women decided to follow Jesus and trusted their life to Jesus. But they began to realize one of the biggest needs of these women who are in prison is while they're in prison, and dad is who knows where, the kids are going wild. And they're not staying in school, and they're getting into trouble, and they're going, you know what, the whole process is repeating itself. And they thought, we got to do something to help. So they started out by, what are the things we can invest in to help keep these kids at school, at least? Can we get them through school? And one thing led to another, and over time they began to offer scholarships. And they saw kids not only get through school, but they began to try to provide scholarships to get them through college. And when I was there about a year and a half ago, uh, uh, we met the 50th young lady <laughs> graduating from college because of scholarships that this couple was able to give all these kids. 
So I thought, man, what a thing. And I met kid after kid that had been grown up and had, had followed the Lord or had stayed out of trouble at least. And I met mom after mom that had gotten out of jail and found Jesus. And whole families were being changed, dozens and dozens of them. And I thought, so where in the world does all this money for all these scholarships come from? That's why they took me to the sugar farm. They took a plot of land <laughs> that ain't going to last, that they received because of an inheritance. And they said, how can we invest this in something God can use for what does last? Folks, that's the way God wants us to live. And I love to talk about this in churches like yours because one of the things I get to say is, this is the way many of you do live. Last year, uh, our family of churches across this country gave $63 million to get our arms around those 700 missionaries that work around the world and to get out there and do stuff amongst them. That's a tremendous investment of the stuff of today in the things that will last. So if you're one of them, I'm here to say thank you. And if you're not, this guy right here will tell you how to, be, how to get involved. <laughs> this church loves to touch the world. As you hear about your opportunities to be part of that, jump in. Because this is how Jesus wants us to live. All right. Hey, I do have a third point, And I'll give it to you quick because we're about out of time. And the third point is this. Jesus says, I want you to always be serving because my kingdom is love and people are precious. He doesn't want us to miss this point. Sometimes we can read Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, which says this good news of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all peoples, and then the end will come, and we think, oh, it's about preaching. Get on the radio, man. Get out the internet. You know, reach people. Send the gospel around the world. And those are all good tools, but that's not all Jesus talked about in this passage. When he talks about that good servant in chapter 24, he said, you know, there's also an evil servant. And the evil servant not only didn't invest the resources of the master to do the right thing at the right time, he actually squandered resources on himself and abused people by neglecting them, not caring that the master cares about them. You go to chapter 25, and I don't know if you know what comes at the end of Matthew chapter 25. There's this great scene of a judgment the sheep and the goats. Jesus divides us into two groups, <laughs> the sheep and the goats. And to the sheep, he says, look, when you saw me naked and hungry and, and uh, um, uh, thirsty and sick and in the hospital and in prison, you ministered to me, you fed me, you gave me water, you came, you visited me, you healed my wounds. And the sheep say, what are you talking about, Jesus? We never saw you that way. He said, yeah, but when you did it for these people, even the least of them, the one that you, was, you were really serving was me. Amen. He says to the goats, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't give me water when I was thirsty. You didn't visit me in prison or the hospital. No one ministered healing to me when I was sick. And they said, Jesus, we never saw you that way. We saw these other crazy people, but we didn't see you. And he says, look, when you didn't do it for them, the one you were neglecting was me. Amen. Folks, it can't get any clearer 
that the king who already sits on the throne cares about needy people. And we ain't with them if we don't care as well. Wow. That is a wake-up call. So three things that we've seen. Jesus says, look, in this period of time, I want to come back. (laughs) The end will come, but there's stuff to get done. And that's what it's all about. Don't get lost in the craziness of this world. Don't get lost in your own business like those five foolish girls that didn't have time to be ready. Always be ready. Stay in love with me. Walk with me. Always be investing what I'm giving you now in what's going to last. Always be serving because I love the peoples of the world. They live all around you. They live all around the world. He wants us to serve them all. Wake up. This is the kingdom reality. Let's pray, okay? Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. Man, it's been great to worship you in this place. Thank you, Lord, for this clear picture. I think it's, I think it's pretty clear. We're not just wandering through space and time waiting for you to come back. You're up to something very specific. And you ask us to be in step with you, Lord. So wherever it is that I'm fuzzy, that I'm overwhelmed with other junk, that I'm missing the point of what life's all about, would you wake me up today? Wake us from our sleep, Lord. Help us be in step with you because you're the king. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.